Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. It was me realizing that by sharing my story and what I was going through, other people were like, oh my God, I'm going through that too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or I totally get, I can totally relate to that. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. <laughs> oh, God, I just kicked a dog. Oh, I'm so sorry, God. I didn't know she was under the desk no. and I just like, oh, you're okay. You booted her. You're okay. She's getting lots of scritches now. Oh, My God, no. Michelle, we are in a mood today. We are. We're too giggly today. We just got a case of the giggles, but I don't want to giggle too much because of our friend who left us a one star review. <sighs> Yeah, no more giggling, no more intros, no more talking about our lives. Let's just get straight to the show. Dun, dun, dun. Let's just get to dun, the show. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That's our new music. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I feel like we got our first one star review and not even just one star. He wrote, that's presumptuous. I They wrote, they gave us a one star, said, get to the topic already. All we hear is giggle, giggle. I want to hear what I came here for and then wrote one star. And then so wrote like got, one star after yeah, giving us one star. Two one stars. That is so Or do funny. we add them together and it's a two star? Because I'll take oh, that too. Okay. I'd be like, thanks. Thanks, friend. Okay, I think I, honestly, it's just par for the course. And it just means that we've made it. Not everyone's going to like us. No. And if we're too much, go find less. Yeah. Quoting Elise That's Myers. That is like the best thing. If we're too much, go find less. Absolutely. Go find a boring yeah. podcast. Yeah. You have your options. There are many options out there for you. I do also just want to say, though, because if anybody's listening and they're like, I hate these intros, <laughs> but I love this podcast, just hit the fast forward button. Yeah, totally. Because I do that. There are some podcasts where I find either there's too many ads or sometimes I'm like, eh, I'm not interested in what they're talking about in this intro. Yeah. I just skip ahead. I'm on, I have an iPhone and it's just got a little skip 15 and it skips yeah, 15 totally. seconds. I totally agree. There are certain podcasts that I don't listen to the intros or I skip the ads. Yeah. Skip, skip, skip. Yeah, I that's do what valid. you gotta do. So I won't be upset. I'll never know. But you're going to miss out on stories like me talking about my dog Johnny in a wagon. Oh my gosh, tell me everything. The pride I feel in my heart. I have a three-legged dog named Johnny. We call him Tripod mm -hmm. John. And he's missing a front leg. And he's, we think, going to be 11. He's a rescue. He's arthritic. And the fact that he's still mobile is incredible. Mm -hmm. And we love it. But he's really starting to slow down on walks. Or hops, we should call them. Because oh. he's got a hop on his front leg. Yeah, and that's got to be exhausting. Yeah. And he's starting to trip a little bit and like he'll slow down and he'll need to take breaks. And that's tricky when you have four legged dogs mm. who need quite a bit more exercise. So the option is either the four legged dogs don't get enough of a walk or 
you got to leave the three-legged dog at home. And he looks so sad. He just wants to be with his pals. And yeah. he can't wear a prosthetic because he doesn't have, there's like, there he doesn't even have a shoulder blade. So we got him a wagon. He was offended. He is an mm-hmm. independent man. He mm-hmm. does not enjoy being he carried. He don't need or, a wagon. Oh, no. He doesn't want to be helped. He's very proud. And I finally just sat him down and I was like, listen, fella, if you want to come on these walks. A little heart to heart. Yeah. So I started by just bringing the wagon with us just so you see it. And then one day I was like, we're just going to take him on a walk until he can't hop anymore. Like so that he has to be in the wagon. And it took a couple of tries, but he lets me lift him in and put him in. Yeah. And now he just like cruises with a big smile on his face. I'm going to put a picture on our stories. And then I have a bigger dog who has a lot of energy. Lindsay was like, I have a pulling harness. I wonder if he would pull the wagon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is brilliant. So last night we rigged it all up and Henry took Johnny on a walk. <laughs> That's so cute. You know, like my whole heart is like exploding with pride because they did so good. Aw. The last time I strapped one of my kids to each other, it went differently. <laughs> <laughs> it did not go so smoothly. <laughs> That's so fun. I'm so happy for a little John. John, John. So cute. How was your week? I think it was okay. I'm trying to remember. I worked. Yeah. You had a couple kids homesick. Standard procedure. I love how you always have to tell me what I've done. Yeah. Like, um, I'll, I ask you, but like, I already know. So I'll just help you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had, yeah, like there were sore throats and coughs going around. Yeah. The one thing that I get really offended by is like for me, it's like kids get sick and I have five kids and my kids go to school and to daycare. They're exposed to a lot of germs. So I have people in my life who comment about how often my kids are sick. You don't need these people in your life. How, oh, my kids were never sick that much. And it's like, okay. It's not like we're dirty and that I'm like, (laughs) I don't know, like. We're not sharing cups and kids get sick. Like it's just, there's germs everywhere. And especially now, like they weren't sick for a really long time because of COVID and masks and they weren't going places. And the most they would get is like a stomach bug. So it just bothers me when people are like, oh my God, your kids are sick all the time. And it's like, no, they're okay. No, they're not. Yeah. But it's 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 hard when there's five though. Yeah. If you, when you have a household of more than two people and one gets sick, it's very likely that it's all going to go around and each kid is in their own class. Mm. So each kid is exposed to at least 30 kids a day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I get a little defensive about it. I feel defensive for you. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, Other than that, I don't think anything really major happened. No, nothing that I can really think of. (laughs) What is so funny? I just tried to take a picture of Lola under my chair, but she moved and my feet look so messed up. Oh my God. Oh, that's so funny. You could put that on feetfinder.com. <laughs> is that a real <laughs> website? It is. Feet Finder? Is it for people? Yeah. Find who, feet. Like find feet sexy? Yeah. You can post yeah. your feet and then people will find them and pay for them. I have no experience in this. I do not do this. You can I mean, find Michelle at feetfinder.com <laughs> slash. I did not sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Can I tell you how I almost died? Yes, 100%. On Friday, I texted you. I sent you a picture of me at urgent care. 
Yes. So for a week now, I've been getting dizzy whenever I lay down or get up too fast. And I was like, so just like move or not move. Yeah. So like if I'm laying on my back and I roll to my right, I just start spinning. Oh, but like not in the fun, like I've had too many edibles way. So I was like, ah, I should get that checked out. But I don't know, like the time. Yeah, I don't want to bother anybody. So then both the sides of my legs, like if you think of your calf and then the outside edge, every time I hinge forward at my hips, I get like this zapping pain in Mm. it, It like bilaterally. And so I was like, that's concerning. I should maybe consider seeing somebody about that. So I booked an appointment with my chiropractor for Saturday because I trust Dr. Quinn above any other doctor. I mean, she is a medicine woman, so. Yeah. (laughs) Then on Friday, I was just walking with a group of people that we were having a meeting. We were going to the boardroom. I just stepped and it felt like my left calf ripped in half. Ugh. So bad so that I turned around and looked behind me because I was sure my calf was on the ground. Like it was. Oh my God. It was so bad. But then I'm so awkward and I was embarrassed. I don't. Yeah. When I get hurt, I don't get, oh, I can't act. I don't want to draw attention to myself. Oh, yeah. And so I just hobbled my way and nobody noticed or said anything. And then I sat through the whole meeting thinking they're probably going to have to amputate my leg. It hurts so bad. Oh, my God. Yeah. So then I told my boss and she was like, should you get that looked at? And I was like, no, like I'm supposed to be the fire warden until seven tonight. So I think it's okay. And she's like, okay, but we could figure that out. Right. You can't walk. I mean, if there's a fire, you'll be no help. (laughs) Yeah. I would just, somebody would have to wheel me out, but I'd have the radio. Yeah. And I'd be more of a bother than the fire. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So then my colleague is going to school to be a physiotherapist and she's doing her practicum. So she was like, can I take a look at it? And she was like, I just feel like you should go get this looked at immediately. And I was like, "Ah, yeah, okay. And I was, I have a meeting at two, but then I'll go some, I'll go get it looked at. I thought I would go to the Airdrie Urgent Care because it's like a little town just outside of our town, our city, Mm -hmm. and it's close to the airport. And I had to pick up Lindsay from the airport at 730. So I was like, this way, I'm just in the same area. Anyway, I like get there and the nurse saw me hobble in and she's like, can I get you a wheelchair? And I was like, oh no, it's okay. And she was like, the lineup's pretty long. And I was like, no, honestly, I'm fine. And I regretted that decision because standing for the 45 minutes I was in line to be triaged was Uh. awful. And then I was telling the nurse my symptoms and she was like, and this has been going on for a week. Why didn't you seek help earlier and I was like I just I don't know it really drew attention to the fact that I don't want to draw attention to myself yeah (laughs) I don't want to take up space I don't want to bother anybody but I was like well I just I don't know like how serious is this she's like it seems pretty serious and I was like okay well anyway they got me in right away because they needed to test me for a blood clot no so apparently one of the symptoms of a blood clot is like a sudden pain in your calf Oh, okay. Like in the exact spot that I had it. And they said a lot of times it goes undetected because people think they're just like, oh, I just stepped funny. I just pulled a muscle. Yeah. Like it might be a blood clot. And my blood pressure was really high. And the fact that I was dizzy and I had a headache. And so she had to take my blood and she's like, we're just going to start an IV like just in case. And I was like, oh my God, this is escalating Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very fast. Lindsay's in Saskatoon at this conference. Anyway, I do not have a blood clot. They did an x-ray and it showed nothing. And so... So you're just being dramatic. 
I'm just being dramatic. And then I went to see Dr. Quinn the next day, my chiropractor. Yeah. Yeah. She was very upset. She was like, Carling, I'm going to need to see you a few times this week. And I was like, okay, but funny story, I leave Wednesday to go out of town. So if you could just do everything right now. Yeah. She's like, Carling, we need more than a 15 minute adjustment. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't, I didn't want to take up time. Like I, anyway, so the doctor and Dr. Quinn like the medical doctor and my chiropractor think that I have crystals in my ear and it's called like benign something or other. And they like got out of whack. I feel like you had that before, didn't you? I had something called labyrinthitis like about right. 15 years ago. Yeah, and I remember that. Like from inner ear damage. Did you have a lot of ear infections as a kid? Yeah, I had like tubes in my ears. Oh, you did? And okay. I had a lot of ear infections. Yeah, so I was that, that makes kid. sense. Oh, ear infection kid and asthma kid. God. I know. And nosebleed kid. Wow. It's a miracle you're cool today. I, <laughs> am I though? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a miracle I have friends. You persevered. Anyway, can I just tell you story. that through your story, I have come up with two new merch ideas. The one is going to be take up space. Ooh, yeah. And the other one is going to be, uh, I don't know if I want to say not a bother or... Something like that. Something about being a bother. Those are my ideas. Yeah. I need to really unpack that with my therapist. Like, I just, I don't want to. I get that. I feel the same way. Yeah. Oh, my God. This man came in and there's somebody stands at the front door and says, are you here for urgent care? I need you to sanitize your hands and put on a mask. That's like their only job. Their only job. And then they direct you to the line. He walks in and she tries to say her little spiel. He just talks over her with every symptom he has. He can't stop burping. His stomach hurts. He thinks he might throw up. It might be something he ate. Nobody in that vicinity needed to know this information. No. And she was like, okay, I'm just going to get you to sanitize, put on a mask, and go wait in line. He's like, what? He was outraged. He wanted to be rushed Uh. right in. His stomach pain is valid. His burping is valid. But like, Uh. sir, like, I can't walk. And there are just people there with all sorts of things. Honestly, it's like, take a gravel, go home, and hunker down (laughs) on the toilet. I'm no doctor, but. I was already triaged and waiting to be called up when he was in line. I just had to listen to him belch. And I don't just mean burp like he was belching no and again, i was trying to have compassion he doesn't feel good when you got gas you got to get it out i but Ugh. like it was gross yeah good times that. i'm glad yeah. that you're alive and well because i Thanks. told you that if you died i would be really mad at you so thank yeah. you for taking that advice to heart yeah you're welcome i'm a little bit concerned about you being on the plane with like swelling and stuff maybe you should get I... some compression socks I did think that, <laughs> but I'm still going to wear like capris, so it'll be really cute. Oh, yeah. Or or you could do like the compression socks with sandals and like booty shorts or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think this that is would where... be a good way to go. Yeah. <laughs> I love that journey for you. Thank you. And we're going to try to record some intros while I'm there, but if things go south, we're going to have some canned intros. Yes. Yeah. To put in. We should do the office ladies intro. Where that could like... be like our canned intro. I'm Hi, Carly. I'm Michelle. And we were on the office together, but we wouldn't do that. We were in My Fair Lady together. <laughs> and go. we're best friends. <laughs> Each week, we recap. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Somebody's already complained about our intro, so I feel like this intro has been long enough. This one's for Should... you, P. Jones. dedicate this intro to you oh my god all right let's get into it all right okay bye 
Hello, Jen. Hey. How are you? Doing good today. How are you doing? Good. We're so excited to chat with you today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm stoked to be here because I didn't sign up for a lot of shit. So (laughs) I'm super stoked to be here. I love that. Yeah. You and I met over like a podcast Facebook group. We were both like, hey, I think we have a very similar podcast. Mm -hmm. Hey, that means we probably have a lot of stories to tell. So your podcast is called Is it called The Shit We Don't Talk About? It's called Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that we have. Exactly. That's why I think I love the name of your podcast, too, because it's not like people sign up for this. Yeah. Yeah, it came out of our lives where it was like, we did not sign up for all of this. Yeah. And then it's like, there's a lot of other people who didn't sign up for all of this. So let's talk to them. Yeah. 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 So how long have you been podcasting for? Since this is my second podcast, I actually had my first podcast in goodness, 2016. Oh, wow. And yeah, and that podcast was called Greater Than. It had got its name from Greater Than Resilience, but resilience is a hard word to say and spell. So we went with Greater Than. (laughs) (laughs) And we talked about homelessness, sex trafficking. The caste system in India, racism, racial biases, disabilities. And every time I would describe it, I would call it shit you don't want to talk about. Yeah. In 2021, I launched Shit You Don't Want to Talk About podcast to turn the stigmas of shit you don't want to talk about into shit to talk about. Mm -hmm. And that is why that is our social media name because we want to change the conversations. And I think like the more that we have these conversations, the more people realize that they're not alone, that there's probably a lot of people that can relate to things that you've gone through and it builds community. A hundred percent. I love that because it feels like a lot of stuff that you are going through, you don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable by talking about it. It's just so important because I think our society is built on keeping everybody comfortable. And To the point of what you both said about y'all have gone through some shit and like that sucks. Being able to start normalizing those conversations and saying, hey, this is what's going on with me is like a hard balance because you're like, oh, if I say what's going on, then, you know, people are going to get awkward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all need to learn how to live in this awkwardness of I've had it where I've been really struggling with my sexual abuse in the past because I'm dealing with PTSD right now and it's driving me insane. People have asked me, they're like, dude, how are you doing? And I'm like, really shitty. And I'm getting through it. Yeah. Or the same of I'm not getting through it and I need your help. Yeah. 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 So we talked about how to start your story and it got brought up about why you started the podcast and it kind of starts with brain surgery, right? Yeah. So I have multiple arachnoid cysts on my brain. What those are, are they're basically just cysts in general aren't bad. Mm -hmm. They're just basically a little ball of fluid and they're not inherently bad. They can be bad because they can be tumors. They can be cancerous, but Inherently, just by themselves, they are not bad. An arachnoid cyst means, and this is not the medical definition, so this is my paraphrasing, I'm not a doctor, Mm -hmm. is the fact Mm -hmm. that it's between my brain and the spider webbing. It's a harder area to get to and also the impact it has on your brain. And I was born with these. 
So when I was growing up, my skull started forming weird on the right side of my brain around my temple. And my mom freaked out like any parent would. So she had MRIs done. I was living in Phoenix at the time. So around two or three, we got the MRIs done and they were like, yo, arachnoid cysts happen. She'll probably get rid of them as she grows up. Not a big deal. Every time you say arachnoid, I think of spider, like arachnophobia. And it's because it's by the spider webbing. So you are exactly right. It is so gross. It yeah. is. It's so bizarre. And I'm like, I maybe that's why I, I freak out about the idea of if there's like a fly or something in the house, I will cover my ears if I'm sleeping. Oh, no. Because I have this. Yeah. I, it happened once when I was a kid where like a fly tried to get up in there and I'm like, <sighs> I hate it. Yeah. I, I totally gross out. But yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> the arachnoid cyst when I in 2020, leading up to 2020, every once in a while, like in a blue moon, I would get such horrible pressure where this right temple on my right temple that I would have to wrap a bandana around my head so tightly to get the pressure, to give it pressure. But then the rest of my head would be like, yo, we need to breathe. Yeah. I'd do it with hats. I would lay down and stack books on top of it, like a huge change jar that was small but really heavy. It happened every once in a while. Not a big deal. No one could tell me what caused it. And then in 2020, it was happening once a week. It was happening Mm. multiple times a week and they would last so much longer. There was one time where my sister started working with me and she's my best friend, but I call her my sister because we've literally known each other since we were born. I was driving us to work and I had to pull over because I couldn't see anymore. Mm. The pain was insane. And so she had to drive us the rest of the way. And that got started on the journey to start looking into like, how do I get this fixed? I mentioned the fact that I lived in Phoenix when I had my MRI done when I was a kid, because I actually ended up having my surgery for my, for the arachnoid cyst at the same hospital and the same, not the same exact doctor, but the doctor group. And they were phenomenal. Basically what they did is picture this arachnoid cyst as a lake and they created a scar river into where other brain fluid is. So uh, I think about that as the ocean. Yeah. So they basically just created a little river, a scar river. I was like, okay, cool. Done. Let's go. Yeah. And surgery has never scared me. I've had 10 surgeries. I've been in and out of the doctor's offices since I was a kid. It's not something that I fear more of if they can't figure out what's wrong with me, mm-hmm, not right. the fact that I'm going to surgery. Yeah. I could care less that I go into surgery. Even the surgeons, the actual like neurologists, the neurosurgeons, the therapists, the psychiatrists, nobody was like, oh, hey, when you have this surgery because it's by long-term memories, yeah, it's going to trigger all that shit. Oh, and no. you're just going to have, you know, remember everything. Did they yeah. know that this was going to happen or they didn't know? They didn't know. And because this was a surgery that was like, yo, we hope it works, but it may not. And you may have to have it again. Yeah. It was the type of thing that the feelings from all of it came first than the memories themselves. Hmm. So, What do you mean feelings? Like in your body? Emotions. Okay. I worked at a production company and I had some friends that wanted to get going and start their own work. So they needed content 
And I had a friend that had a coffee business and they really needed videos. So within three days, I got both to participate for free and like 50 of my closest friends be like, yo, you're showing up for this shit. We're just going to do this. <laughs> yeah. And it was some of the people I am closest to, like some of my best friends, people I absolutely adore. My partner was there and I felt worthless. Oh no. I showed up and I was like, I'm worthless. And you had never no felt one... like this before. Like you couldn't, you didn't know what it was stemming from. It was a feeling I felt in high school. Not a feeling that I really felt as an adult. Right. I didn't know what it was, but basically it was the fact that since everything else had something going on that I wasn't needed or wanted because I've always known myself as the one that could get the quiet people to open up, the crowd to get going. But once the crowd's going, what do I do? Why am I there? Then I also started getting into self-harm and suicidal ideation again. So the neurologist and neurosurgeon were like, you got to go see psychiatry. And during this process, I'm recording the videos and talking to my friends and family on Facebook because the shit's scary. And I truly believe in mental health and we can all learn from each other. With psychiatry, they diagnosed me as bipolar type 2. I am ADHD. I knew that one. Mm -hmm. I knew bipolar type 2. I just never wanted to take medications for it anxiety, depression. I'm also dyslexic. They were like, we need to put you on a mood stabilizer. Let's try that. I was like, okay. And then an antidepressant, which the antidepressant anti-anxiety go is one pill, but it was, I was sharing my journey of seeing what this was doing to my body, what was mm -hmm. going on. At that same time, the beginning of 2021, I started a new job and I was working in the world of APIs, which is super tech. <laughs> That's what I like to call it. Yeah. But basically the easy way of saying it is application programming interface, which means in non-tech world, one software talking to another software. Right. So I was telling my boss, I was like, I want to start another podcast. I think I'm going to do it in sales because I'm sales enablement. It'll be dope. And she's like, nah, bro, you're not. It's not going to be sponsored by the company. And it's going to look like it's from the company. And we're right. not going to do that. Right. They oh. also had their own podcast too. Okay. And I was like, fair enough. And she's like, why don't you do it on mental health? You love mental health. Mm -hmm. And bringing it back to my original podcast, that is how we came up with the name Shit You Don't Want to Talk About because it was literally, that's what I was feeling, what I was going through, why I was sharing those stories. Wow. And so wow. you had said some memories started flooding back, but they started with feelings. Mm -hmm. So you went to the neurologist and you're like, this is weird. I'm getting all of these symptoms, emotional symptoms, and they medicated it like through the psychiatrist. At what point did those start turning into like memories that you had locked away and didn't even know that you were storing away somewhere? I knew the memories were there. I just didn't realize that they still affected me. Okay. And also they didn't come to mind very often. It was yeah. like, I went through it. Cool. Never really thought about it. A lot of ways that showed up to this point was I was a workaholic. It wasn't something I enjoyed, but I always felt like I had to prove myself, mm, yeah. be the go-to person, the one that always did way too much because I felt like I wouldn't be good enough or wanted if I didn't do absolutely everything. 
Right. So that was still showing up in my life until probably the about the last year. So that's something that I didn't realize was because of all the shit I went through until I started going to therapy. I didn't realize how the sexual abuse affected my relationship. What a lot of therapists have told me before, this is a big part of my journey that I'm still working through, is they're like, oh, it's probably you're having issues with your relationship with having a libido or PTSD because you're two years into your relationship and the sexual abuse lasted for two years. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But it's been, it's 2022 now. Can I be through this shit? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> and my partner luckily is so patient with me while I'm trying stuff. Because yes, birth control can go into it. Yes, medications can go into it. Mm-hmm. Yet dive in like head first into therapy. I was hoping would fix it, but it's still something that I'm struggling with. That started really presenting itself after brain surgery. It was the tendencies for self-harm and it was that feeling of worthlessness that I was causing everything to be wrong, which was something that I was told quite a bit growing up of how fat I am, how ugly I am, how worthless I am, how stupid I am. All these feelings are coming back and I'm already a workaholic that I like upped my workaholic game. Mm. I'm drinking six or seven yellow rock stars a day. Oh I say the God. yellow juice ones, they are the best. They are <laughs> not like trying to like sponsor, say like they should do in anything like promo, but like. Yeah. So but nice. if you're listening, rock star, we've yeah. got a sponsorship yeah. yeah. Let's do it. I literally will talk about it nonstop. Yeah. Um, it kept showing up even more. And I kept started realizing that as well as my mistrust of my friends, but it wasn't the mistrust of my friends. Like I think they're going to go somewhere. It was trusting myself that they're my friends or my coworkers and trusting them just in general. And then also trusting myself of, hey, if I reach out to my friend and they don't reply to not overthink it and it's just they're busy or something where during this time I was going, they don't reply, I'm worthless. All of those feelings and with the memories, it was going through solitary confinement when I was a little kid of I was only allowed to, I had like the little kid, like trainer porta potty things. Yeah. That's what I had in my room. And my dad would wipe out, take everything out of my room because I was too messy. And like the first night I had the porta potty thing and a sleeping bag. And then the next night I got to choose between a pillow and my teddy bear. Like my teddy bear is named baby. I still have him. He is Mm. the best. And it was like all these feelings of that and that inadequacy was coming back. It was... After that happened until about the age of eight, we moved to another state and then sexual abuse started happening from my cousins. That happened for about two years. We moved again and my dad during this entire time is isolating my mom, gaslighting her, and he's a complete narcissist. And so she's starting to take out what's going on to me because she has no other outlet. Yeah. We started becoming religious come to find out my dad only joined a religion to be more controlling and stuff like that but during that entire time no one believed me what was going on with my mom or with my dad or anything that 
and you add in a bunch of moves and just like learning and thinking promiscuity is going to solve all of these. My best friend passed away. I know I'm naming off a lot of shit pretty quickly, but all these memories start flooding back where I already had the feelings like, oh my God, my best friend died. That should have been me. What am I going to do in the world? Mm. She was a much better human is what I would always tell myself. So it's all of this is slowly starting to seep back in and I'm learning how to deal with it. I think that's so interesting how the brain works. Like you had said, you had some of those memories, but you had locked them away and it was like, fine, you didn't have to deal with them, but something will trigger it like this brain surgery. And it seems like until you deal with it, it will always find a way to, yeah, to come out. To come back. It doesn't matter if you mm-hmm. avoid it, if you're a workaholic, if you drink it away, if all of this stuff, there's, I feel like sometime in your life, you're going to be forced to deal with the things. Why was it this brain surgery that triggered all this for you? Like, I think that's so interesting. And this is the second time something's been triggered. When I was 16, my boyfriend at the time was a huge Adam Sandler fan. And Adam Sandler has a song that talks about a soap bottle up the butt. Oh. And it triggered all of my memories from the ages of 8 to 10 when I was sexually abused. Wow. And you, before that, hadn't really thought about it. and you. I didn't realize I was. Right. Yeah. And so you were 16 when you realized that. Did you tell anybody? Did you get help? It was actually, so if any kids are listening to this, don't sneak out of your house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But my mom is to this day, the heaviest sleeper ever. Like A, she snores like louder than anything ever. And I can never share a bed with her because she's a kicker. Oh, God. She is to this day. Yeah. I'll go stay with my mom and I'm like, it's the couch for me. I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. My mom would sleep on the couch downstairs. I don't know why. Maybe sometimes she would go up to her bed. So I would honestly go downstairs past my mom and go out the back door. And she'd have no idea that I left. Mm. And this happened like within six months, I was probably sneaking out five or six times a week to go hang out with my boyfriend and his friends or my boyfriend had a younger sister that was my age I'd say I was spending the night with her I was always out doing things I probably shouldn't have done yeah so this is probably like my gazillionth time sneaking out and I get triggered my mom randomly calls me like screaming at me about where are you I wasn't meeting up with my boyfriend because of this It happened while we were driving around doing something. And so I'm like sobbing to her because it's right after it happened to get myself not in as much trouble. I just told her he picked me up because of this. Right. And we come home and my mom is so unbelievably caring. And this is a big thing. Yes, my mom was physically and emotionally abusive. She was also my number one fan. She had a lot to deal with herself. She didn't know how to deal with, she didn't have the outlet to deal with it. She didn't have therapists that knew what was going on. She didn't have any friends left anymore because my dad isolated her from everything. She was brought up by parents that said, you do anything to stay in your marriage. So my mom was alone and it was very hard because I love I still love my mom more than anybody. And she is this such an incredible human. Especially when during my teenage years, it was really difficult because she would be very physically and emotionally abusive. And then she would 
try to buy me all the things I needed. She would try to remember to get me my favorite candy bar or give me rides places or she always worked on providing for me and doing her best. I mentioned all of that because that night I was expecting to go home and getting the shit beat out of me for sneaking out. My mom called the police and they said, since it's out of five years, the statu- statutory limit? No. Yeah. Uh, uh, no. Statue of limitations. Thank you. Oh. Yes. <laughs> well, my we brain was just there. like cranking that. <laughs> Let's get there. Um, was out of the statue of limitations. Right. Because it had been over five years <sighs> and my cousin turned 18. She just let me saw him. And I don't remember much after talking to the police officer, but I didn't know exactly how to deal with it then. Although I knew my younger cousin was going to be starting school with me. And I was still at this point, always trying to prove myself to my dad that I was good enough. Mm. And I begged my mother to let me move in with him. And she tried to warn me. She definitely did try to warn me. I moved in with him and Again, he broke all of his promises. Like he never taught me to drive and got me a car. My entire world of humans lived in one town. And then my dad lived 45 minutes away. That was in a town that doesn't even have a stoplight. Wow. So it was so important. And the reason I said I would do it is because then I can go back to my friends. I can still go see them on the weekend. Was it your dad that wanted you to move in with him? Or you wanted to move in with him? It was... My dad wanted to do anything to disrupt Mm. and control. My dad would promise me all of this stuff and then break his promises. And then so I learned at that time to move out and get myself a better situation. A few Within a few years, my mom bought me my laptop because she was like, if you want to go to college, you need a laptop. She helped me get my driver's license. When I moved in with my dad, she ended up needing to move to another state to be able to find work. She flew or drove back to help me get my driver's license. She helped me. It sounds weird, but she helped me drop out of school. I, she always made me go to summer school. So I had enough credits to graduate yet. I was working multiple jobs my senior year that there was no way I was going to make up both. Right. So she helped work with the counselor to sign the paperwork to let me drop out because I had so many credits. The counselor was like, we'll still let you graduate. Oh, nice. My mom literally would always have to pick up the pieces that my dad left off. She got a personal loan. So before my senior prom, she helped me get my breast surgery. So my left breast would get an implant so I would be able to wear the prom dress of my dreams. And my dad would do things such as telling me, your mom didn't buy you the prom dress you wanted. Your mom doesn't live here and help take care of you. Yeah. And he would always create triangles and he still does it to this day. And I can't, I've found out that there's a term for this called flying monkeys as well, where my dad would tell me one thing and then tell my mom another thing. So we would be pitted against each other mm-hmm. or to get back at my mom, he would use me as a flying monkey to be like, oh, dad said X, Y, Z to get my mom to start talking to my dad again. Right. Oh. And he still does this now. He always just wanted control. Even when I had, I've gone years without talking to my dad. And even when I was 32, I started to have a relationship with my dad again. And he's like, I really want to come down and be there for you for your brain surgery. 
but we have to get X, Y, Z from the church and you have to arrange it. And I'm like, I'm about to go and brain surgery. I got my own shit to deal with. You can figure it out. And my mom, who is also part of the same church, was coming down. It's the first time they've seen each other in 20 years. Oh, and she's like, Jen, I can help you figure it all out. Just let me take care of it. And I was like, dad just keeps like yelling at me that I have to do it. And I even offered to be like, dad, mom will take care of it. And he came to town and he made me like go find him to find our house. It was very bizarre, the type of things he would do for control. Mm -hmm. Right. And the surgery was on a Monday. I got home on a Wednesday or Tuesday night, late Tuesday night. And he came over Wednesday morning and was like, okay, bye. And I was like, dude, you couldn't see me in the hospital thanks to COVID. And now Mm -hmm. you're leaving. Okay, whatever. Yeah. That's really when I started learning and seeing these issues with my dad because even to this day, he tries to bring up arguments with using the rest of my family to get to me. My parents definitely chose the way they would grow. My mom grew with me and is my best friend and we've worked through a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. And my dad is still a psychopath. Yeah. I see that as what happened that night from my cousins. Like when I remembered everything, my mom truly showed her true colors. It took me a long time to see my dad's true colors because I always felt so inadequate. So it's definitely something that I still am working through, especially for the sexual abuse. Yet the healthiest thing I've ever done is finally tell my dad, hey, you want to be cool? We can talk. Yeah, But I've had to realize that I more than likely will not see my dad again until he's on his deathbed or at his funeral. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. After you had the brain surgery and all this was happening, what did you feel was the best thing to help you go through it? Was it therapy? Was it the podcast? Was it talking to other people? Was it confronting all the stuff from your past? All of the above. Yeah. The stuff with my dad was the hardest thing to work through. I'd have people ask me on a regular basis, why could I forgive my mother so easily, but I could never forgive my father. And what took so long to get the words for is my mother's intentions and the vibe. My mom literally would do absolutely anything to see me survive and thrive. Yes, she had her own mental health that she needed to deal with. And by no means am I justifying what she put me through. Yeah, She was doing the best she could. Time and time again, she's always helped me. She's always been there for me. And my dad, I couldn't comprehend why I always felt so miserable around my dad. And yeah. a lot of it I felt was my own fault. I've been through so many like self-development courses and I still couldn't get over like why I felt so bad about my dad and why I could never be good enough for my dad. And even after the surgery, yes, I got a lot better about it when I, when he came for the brain surgery, but I still couldn't understand why I wasn't getting over this. Leading up to the podcast, I actually started doing EMDR therapy. Oh, it's yeah. eye movement desensitization repetition. Yeah. Yeah. I've done yeah. that as well. Yeah. And it really helped with some of the big stuff, which was about my dad and being locked away in my room Mm -hmm. and remembering things about that. I remember my mom and dad screaming at each other and trying to fight to get to my mom Mm -hmm. as like a little kid. I didn't remember that until I started doing therapy. And 
that did really help get through so much of what I was struggling with. I'm still struggling with PTSD of the sexual abuse. Yeah. It was also realizing I'm not alone. When I started posting these stories online just for myself or like these videos on Facebook, it was me realizing that by sharing my story and what I was going through, other people were like, oh my God, I'm going through that too. Yes. Or I totally get, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. And also realizing that and meeting people that wanted to be a part of the podcast once we decided to do it is what really helped me go, I can get through this. Yeah. It sounds weird, but like becoming myself. And that's what that job last year really helped me do is I have bright purple hair. That's who I am. Yeah. I like wearing gold sparkly overalls and mm-hmm. sequins and bright colors. And half the time I don't match when I leave the house. Not sure why Tyler puts up with it, but he does. <laughs> Since my brain surgery, learning so much more of who I am once I started working through this shit. Yeah. Yeah. And are you, I don't know, yeah. are you like thankful that the brain surgery triggered what it did because it's forced you to face and work through everything? Yeah. I would even say that I'm thankful for the job I had during it, right. this entire experience. I worked for a production company that it was literally the shittiest job I've ever had. (laughs) My boss was a narcissist, probably a psychopath. And I think that's actually what caused the brain surgery to finally happen is the stress of that job. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it also made me realize I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. And the brain surgery made me take a month off of work. Mm. And it was the first time I had ever done that. And that job, even though it's one of the worst jobs I've ever had, has helped me so much more in my career, being able to do the podcast, being able to be a speaker, an MC for events. It helped me get the job that I had in APIs. Mm. It is between the two, they were like, Jen, you're going on the wrong course of life. We're going to mess it all up and have you restart from ground zero. And so- I'm incredibly grateful. I am also oddly grateful for the shit I went through because it made me who I am. It made me strong enough to be there for others and advocate for others and give them a platform to share their stories, but also hear that we're not alone. Yeah. Yeah, That's so important. I feel like every time I do a podcast interview, I am getting like a mini therapy session and I'm picking out things that I'm that resonate with me and what you were talking about with your mother. I feel like I'm screwing up every day with my children, especially because they've gone through a loss of a parent and they're struggling with their mental health and I'm struggling with my mental health. And I just am so afraid that they're going to hate me in the end because I'm, I didn't do enough or I didn't help enough or I said the wrong things because of ha- because I'm struggling. So it's just interesting to see the other side of it where it, you can understand what your mother was going through and you can empathize with her, with what she was going through and still understand that she was doing, she was trying to do the best that she could. So that's just my little piece that I pulled out of it today. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we always say do your best until you know better and then do better. Yeah. And sometimes that's a rocky road. Yes. Mm -hmm. I would say one thing, especially to all the parents out there, just what you just said is if I could go back in time, the biggest thing I would ask for is my mom to take care of herself. Mm -hmm. 
And I hate the air mask thing with planes because that's what so many of us talk about. But I wish that I could, if I could be like, give my mom any gift in the world, it would be to show how worthy she is Mm -hmm. and how amazing she is. And it's okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. You don't have to figure it all out. I ended up okay. And I'm not dead. And I'm like, to me, that's a parent's. Because so many of my friends are parents now and they're afraid of some of the same things. What if I mess up my kids? What if they never forgive me? And I'm like, in all honesty, doing what's best, in my opinion, this is totally my opinion, make sure they live and give them the best opportunities you can. I think it's so amazing that so many parents now are realizing that mental health is a thing. Mm -hmm. Just having these conversations and being transparent and vulnerable with our children of, yo, I'm working through this, even while you're working through stuff. Something that I think kids don't always see and they won't see until hindsight and there can Mm -hmm. be times of not talking is realizing what our parents did for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like my dad, he has no excuse. I buzz off. But (laughs) my mom literally went through so much shit that I couldn't comprehend then. If something comes up, like she knows I do this podcast and for some reason she absolutely hates that in June we're celebrating Pride Month and that's all we talk about during June. And she doesn't understand it, but she still shows up for the IG lives. Yeah. And it's that type of stuff that I think means more than ever than being a perfect parent. Showing up, just showing up, no matter how you are, who you are that day. It's yeah. a bad day. It's a good day. That's yeah. all I could ever ask out of my mom. I always mm-hmm. joke that Michelle will know how much she's messed up her kids when they finally write a book or release a podcast when they're mm-hmm. in their 20s or 30s. Yeah. And until I'll then, have them on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. And oh, until then, I already know. know. I have a 13 year old, so they tell me every day how many times, how all the things I've screwed up on. And that's the hardest part is that your kids are kind of a little bit unaware of things for so long. And then once they become a teen, they become more aware of your flaws and the things that you're doing wrong, but they don't understand the empathy side of it and like maybe why you're screwing up or why you're saying the wrong things and what's going on in your life to contribute to that. Not that's an excuse, but like I'm not a perfect person. So it's just them knowing everything and knowing all the ways that you're screwing up, but not understanding why. That's a real struggle that I'm having right now with my teen and it's tricky. Like I was told last night that their punishment in life was living with me. God, kids are the worst. I remember being 13 and knowing everything. Oh, absolutely. And for me, it's like all I could do, all I could think was like all of the things that I do for this child, like all the things that I've done since they were a newborn baby, like everything that I've done and everything that I've tried to do to help their situation or to make their situation better or get them help. But all that they can do is find all the things that I failed at. It's really rough. Yeah. How do you get through that? Because like in my head and again, I'm an outsider that doesn't under like I don't have kids or gone mm-hmm. through it. I know that I was probably one of the worst teenagers in the entire world. And yeah. I told my parents yeah. all the time that I hated them. Yeah. And especially to my mother who honestly did do absolutely everything she could. I probably told her a million times that she's the worst mother in the world and I hated living with her and blah, blah, blah. So what are some ways that you 
keep in mind. And I know it's a logical side instead of an emotional side. But how do you remember that you are so worth it and you're doing your best? Because, dude, I know I'm not supposed to like cuss, but fucking (laughs) shit, dude. Like being a mother is hard. Being a parent is hard. And especially when you have teenagers that are like, ah, you're destroying my life. Mm -hmm. That is my imitation of teenagers. About right. (laughs) Like they're growing and like in a like psychology way of things, like this is the time where they do need to detach from their parents. Mm -hmm. Yet being a parent, I can't even imagine it. I just, I think that, What I try to do is remind myself over and over that they don't have the brain development to understand the other side of it, that eventually they will. And eventually there will be a day, even if it's not until I'm 80, that they're going to come to me and say, I'm sorry, I get it now. I understand now. And I just keep reminding myself about that. But there are times where literally last night I, I barely slept because that's all I could think of was ringing in my ears is what the what they said and over. And it's really hard. And then you want to make the next day better. But I think from what your mom did is that she just kept showing up. And for me, I just keep trying to be there and to call the therapist and get the appointments done and keep showing up that way. No matter, you know, it's... <laughs> Not to be dramatic and not to minimize abusive relationships, but it can be, it can feel like that sometimes. Yeah. Where you're constantly trying to show up and be there for that person and they're constantly bringing you down and telling you're wrong and telling you that you're terrible and that you don't care about them. So to just keep showing up is what I try to do. And I think it doesn't matter. Like you could live in a mansion with all the money and be a stay-at-home mom that's always there and you'd get the same comments. It's yeah. a lose-lose situation yeah. with preteens and teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, that's my little spiel. I think like, it's very valuable to be sharing that kind of thing because I can only imagine parents throughout the world are feeling the same thing. Like we could go through a downward spiral this of the systemic issues that do not help the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And teach like emotional EQ and all of that, like emotional intelligence. So I think it's very brave that you're sharing Thank you about your experience. I think it's important too, to understand I can be empathetic to my teen. I can understand what they're going through and the changes in their body, their mind, their social circles, their everything. And even if they tell me every day that I don't understand, it's, I maybe I don't fully understand, but I also was a teenager once. Yeah. I also can understand the the things that happen day to day that feel like the literal end of the world, but I can have that perspective on the other side to know that it's not. Junior high and high school are not the end all be all. Once you're away from that, you'll realize how much different your life is and how much none of that mattered. But in the moment, it is the most important thing that you're dealing with. So to have empathy about that and to understand like you're having a bad day because you got teased and maybe it's not going to matter five years from now, but it matters right now and I'll help you through it. Yeah. Wow. Jen, where can people find you and your podcast and all the stuff that you're doing? Yeah. I really quick before we go into that, I think this is a great example of it's shit you don't want to talk about. It's hard shit. Nobody wants to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. I commend you for being so brave to share this, Michelle. And that is (laughs) why we create the podcast is because it's called shit you don't want to talk about. Mm 
spell shit with an exclamation point if you're yeah. googling it. <laughs> and then all of our social media is shit the number two talk about. Okay. And it's because we need to start changing the stigma and having these conversations and being able to advocate for others. Mm-hmm. And that is why we named the podcast Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. And we need to change it into shit to talk about. And that's why it's called our social media is that. I love that. I also feel like it's almost like shit people don't want to hear because it's, and it's teaching people like you need to hear this and it's everybody's story is valid and everybody's story is important. And you're going to reach somebody in the audience that understands and feels the same way that you do. And feels comfortable now telling their story because of you. I feel like I'm echoing by saying this is trauma's trauma. Mm-hmm. It's not a competition. Absolutely. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, your story is incredible. And I feel like we could have you back over and over again because there is so I'm much down. to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing really important work out there and breaking stigmas and all of that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate you both. Thank you. Awesome. We'll let you carry on with your day. Thank you. I appreciate it. I just freaking adore the both of you. That's Oh my that's God. Awesome. You're so like sweet. You You're so sweet. Thank you so much. All right, Jen, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. Yes. Thank you both. I am so excited and I really hope that this really hits home for your audience. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it will. And we'll, we look forward to being on your podcast and mm-hmm. we'll make sure in our show notes and everything, we tag all your stuff so people can find the work that you do. Awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. Have a good one. Bye. 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 Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. Oh my God, Jen. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. I know. That was so good. That was. Are we going to be on her podcast? I hope so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It sounds like it. It's like we, we have a lot of shit we need to talk about. Oh, we do. We do. Yeah. No, I think it's good to talk about these things and break the stigmas and make people a little uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. That's my whole role in life is I feel like I'm just always a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, you know what's coming up? I'm trying to think ahead because we're trying to record ahead. Tell me. We have our very first Wet Wednesday over on our Patreon. I believe it's pronounced Wet Wednesday. (laughs) Wet Wednesdays. So (laughs) just for anybody who loves what we do and wants Mm -hmm. to support the work that we do and Mm -hmm. or wants to get more of us. Yeah. Wants to get wet on a Wednesday. Ooh. (laughs) yeah wet your whistle wednesday yeah so we have a patreon and it is a monthly subscription Mm -hmm. and for as little as five dollars you get instant access to over i should know this number like close to 60 episodes and you made a good point last week saying like it is summer it is road trip travel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. laying at a lake i would love to find a podcast where i had that many episodes to just binge absolutely that would be a dream come true If you want that for yourself, for as little as $5, you could have for a whole month, you could have 60 episodes. If you're going on a family vacation and don't particularly enjoy your family, just have us in your ear the whole time. Yeah, we'll talk you through it. Absolutely. This is my question about Wet Wednesdays, though, because we recorded it on a Wednesday, but are you releasing it on a Wednesday? Yeah, I think so. So so Wet Wednesday, we decided we're going to do a free preview of, or like, we're going to do a preview for all the tiers on Patreon Mm -hmm. on July 13th. It's a Wednesday. It's video and audio. You can do both or just audio. 
Or just video if you don't want to hear it. Oh my gosh, that'd be so funny. And we take a topic with a guest and we break it down. So we're going to talk with Julie from the Resting Bitch Face Pod. We read a Reddit, My the Asshole, and then we talked yes. about it. And then it spiraled into a, a lot, lot of, of different topics. Yeah. yeah. It was great. Yes. Um, so any level of patron will be able to see it, Ebel, on july 13th amazing that's gonna be so yeah. fun so that's gonna be like a once a month thing and we release two bonus episodes every month and it's that's just amazing gently. you get four of us on the regular feed and three of us a month on the patreon mm-hmm. what more could you want not a lot like that's not a lot because we don't have other than reproductive <laughs> rights for women across the world but, oh yeah besides you know, that a, yeah just as an aside so it's asking a lot carling yeah a lot all right. Everybody should follow us on social media pretty much anywhere. I We're agree. on Twitter now. We're on Twitter. We've already failed at being on Twitter. We were on Twitter for one day and then have not done anything since then. But what do we do? Does anybody understand Twitter? And can you give us a Twitter tutorial? I feel like very smart people are on Twitter and maybe we're not as smart as them. But you know what? We're going to take up space on Twitter. Taking up space. We're going to take want- up space. You want less, go find less. Exactly. You know what is it? I'm too. You, if I'm too much, go find less. Yeah. If we are too much, <laughs> go find less. P. Jones. You want less, huh? Go find less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Huh? That'll be our knockoff slogan. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everybody has a great week. I hope you have a good trip. Thanks. It'd be terrible if something happened and you couldn't go. <laughs> what? <are you? laughs> Never mind. Um, are you going to like Nancy Kerrigan me? Is that her? I might. Yeah. Kerrigan? Nancy Kerrigan. I'll be the Tanya Harding to your Nancy. Tanya Harding. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I will medivac myself to Ontario. Oh my God. <laughs> Which hospital? Bob Cajun, please. <laughs> yeah. Just right in the lake. Just drop me in. All right. Let's chat later. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.